Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 106, Chelsea and the Roman Abramovich era. And this is an episode that I have been looking forward to doing for a while now. As soon as the sanctions came in and it looked like he was going to have to sell the club and let it go, I wanted to talk about it. But actually, I wanted to talk about Chelsea long before that. And that's the thing about Chelsea is there's always something going on. Back when Romelu Lukaku gave his interview, the now infamous interview on to Sky Italia about how he somehow wanted to come back to Chelsea or to enter and things weren't working out at Chelsea, it was just another example of the drama that has been the Roman Abramovich era and one that is unforgettable for all Chelsea fans. On May 11th in 2003, Chelsea hosted Liverpool in a final day decider, and this match would decide who would go to the Champions League and who would finish in fifth. So fourth qualified Champions League back then, which Chelsea and Liverpool were level on points going into the match. Uh, Chelsea had a plus eight goal difference over Liverpool, so a significant advantage. All they needed was a draw or a victory, and they would go through. Now, the players... What we know now is that a lot of them were told before the match, look, if you don't win this game, the club is in huge financial trouble. If we don't qualify for the Champions League and get that money, you know, most of you won't be able to stick around. We won't be able to keep you and the club will be in trouble. So that's not a great way to go into a game, right? Maybe, I mean, the amount of pressure that they must have felt going in. Sammy Hopia for Liverpool gave them the lead 1-0 after about 11 minutes, and then in just two minutes later, Marcel Desailly towers uh, up on high in the box, scores a header, 1-1, and then Jesper Gronk here, a guy who I consider to be sort of Chelsea cult status. He really deserves that. He scored in the 27th minute to give them a 2-1 lead, which they would hold on to and qualify for the Champions League. Problem was they were 140 million pounds in debt, and TV rights in those days were not really going to cover that kind of debt. You needed a lot more. The the television rights for the Premier League at that point still were not the gargantuan sums they are where a club could say, well, we'll sell two or three assets, spread this money out over a few years, and we'll be fine. That was dire. That summer, I actually was uh, in Bolivia between my junior and senior year of high school doing the Tawichi Academy soccer camp. It was great. I played football for a month every day. And in those days, Every once a week, we'd go into town and get on a computer at an internet cafe, and I would go on and look at what the football news was. And I saw this headline, Russian billionaire laughs off Chelsea debt in takeover, massive spending spree expected. I was like, what? So keep reading about this. And over the next couple weeks that I was there, I just kept seeing these names, all these names of players that just either were coming in or were being talked about. Uh, it, it just happened out of nowhere. Turns out Roman Abramovich had been looking for a club to buy. And he wanted to get one in England. He wanted one in the Premier League. He looked at Man United, too expensive. Arsenal, public company. Tottenham didn't quite have the platform and the stadium that he was really looking for from from what stories back then suggest. And, you know, as he's just riding around on his chopper in the UK, he going over London, he just happens to see this ground beneath him. And it's a clear football stadium. It says Chelsea. He says, what's that? They say, well, that's one of the other clubs in London. Um, you know, they turns out they've actually qualified for the Champions League next season. He's like, oh, really? 
Let's check them out. Turns out they're 140 million uh, pounds in debt, and Ken Bates is all too excited to sell to a Russian billionaire. So youngest billionaire on earth just lands his helicopter on, I think, a nearby hospital. People come down. They walk straight into the club offices and do a deal. And just like that, the Premier League landscape and the football landscape in general changed overnight. There had been takeovers, you know, millionaires who took over their hometown clubs. Most people uh, nowadays who pay attention to talk sport know about Simon Jordan. But there were many others in the 90s. Of course, um, I forget the name of the guy who took over Blackburn and bankrolled them to win the title. But this was not uncommon that maybe a hometown millionaire would come in, buy a club, be like, I'm taking them to the top. I want to do this. And whether it was their the club they supported or just a great opportunity, this was happening. But never to this kind of money. There was never a billionaire running in and just being like, I don't care. What what is what is $250 million? I, I don't care. I don't care. Let's go ahead and, and spend that. And it was just it was wildly impressive to see the way it went over those first few months and first few years. Now, we don't need to get into all the details of this 19-year reign. You can go online and you can look up a timeline and you can probably type in any number of articles. You'll find all kinds of stuff about Chelsea over the last, you know, 20 years that he owned the club. Notably, there are going to be tons of articles about the worst signings. There's going to be articles about the sagas, the the some of the scandals, and some of those are really fun to talk about because they do show that this entire time that he was in charge was kind of a circus, as said when Frank Lampard was sacked. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But it was so interesting because some of the players that he brought in that first summer were outstanding. I mean, he brought in Claude Makélélé, who I think was the best of those initial signings. Juan Sebastián Verón and Hernán Crespo both came in, huge names. Didn't do a whole lot. Uh, but, you know, in with them were other transfers that were kind of interesting. Some of them seemed a little bit like knee-jerk reactions, right? You had probably the most strange one was the very first one, actually. The very first signing of the Roman Abramovich era was Glenn Johnson, then 18 years old, and he'd just broken through at West Ham and had an amazing second half of the season. And I think two or three games from the final day, Chelsea played against West Ham at Upton Park, and Glenn Johnson had a terrific game. I think he scored. Chelsea lost the game 3-1. It was very embarrassing for them. And to see him just immediately signed as the first one must have impressed Claudio Ranieri at the time. But it was kind of one of those things like, wait, we're just getting this kid just because he looked good just at the end of the season. Joe Cole, Damian Duff, Jeremy, and Wayne Bridge also came in that summer, all who I think were very good signings that helped with that early success. Upgrades would come later, of course, with most of them, as well as with coaches. Ranieri, look, he tried in that first 03-04 season. He did the best he could. But to impress an owner like Roman Abramovich, you needed to do something, and he needed to really deliver the Champions League in that first season because, to be honest, when you look back, there was not really much better of a chance. In the semifinals, you had Porto, Deportivo La Coruña, Monaco, and Chelsea. I mean, none of the heavy hitters made it far that season. So this was a great opportunity for a Chelsea side that just had this new array of talent, ready to go, couldn't do it. Claudio Ranieri made some Awful, awful decisions on substitutions in the first leg in Monaco. They lost 3-1, came home, went 2-0 up, but then were pegged back to 2-2, knocked out. They finished second in the league, not enough for Roman. He needed someone bigger. 
someone far more powerful as a coach, somebody with the balls to really take down the Arsene Wenger, Arsenal, the Sir Alex Ferguson, Man United, that duopoly that needed to be broken up. Someone big needed to come in. Enter Jose Mourinho, who, of course, added to the fire of Chelsea, right? Chelsea, this Russian guy comes in, buys a club, immediately bankrolls them. They immediately look like a force. Now they go and get the most talented young coach in Europe. Well, this is a guy who called himself the special one in his opening press conference. So it was on. And the hatred towards Chelsea because of Mourinho just amplified. So from the very beginning, you got a clear sense that people didn't like the success that was coming. And honestly, I always felt it was for decent reason. I mean, when it's when money has a lot to do with it, it kind of leaves a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, right? But I have to say that first title, that first year, it was so special when they actually brought home a title. Drogba had come in, Robin had come in, Czech as well. The most impressive thing, though, was the development and rise of John Terry and Frank Lampard, two guys who were the only ones really by the end of it all who had lasted through the Abramovich era through their careers and actually pretty much the long haul almost ended their careers at the club. No one else from that early period made it that far or even close. So that was an, a, that was a great source of pride you know, to have club legends that were there from before and that delivered the success during that era was, was really, really special. That first season of, of uh, Jose Mourinho where they, the Champions League campaign was incredible. I mean, Chelsea knocked out Barcelona on the way. Uh, the Ronaldinho goal, the toe bash, if you haven't seen that, and John Terry scoring a brilliant header late in the game. It, it, was, it was a phenomenal thing, and, and you could see that a new era of trophies had arrived, even if the Champions League was elusive for a little while. It also became apparent pretty fast just how trigger-happy Abramovich would be with coaches. Because, look, Ranieri never looked like he was going to stick around. I mean, when Abramovich came in, people were already questioning if Ranieri would stay because he didn't really seem like someone who had that kind of aura about him that you would imagine this Russian billionaire would want in charge, this youngest billionaire on the planet. He wanted someone to win now. Jose did his two and a half years, and I think a lot of fans hoped that he would be there for the long haul. But when he was sacked, it was a real wake-up call like, yo, if you're not doing well, you'll be gone. And Avram Grant replaced him, almost the antithesis of Jose Mourinho, which is when you started to realize that the decisions that Abramovich was making, a lot of them had to do with who was in his circle, who was in his ear, who he saw that he felt could help now, in the here and now. It didn't matter what your success was last season. And we saw that over and over. Avram Grant made it to the Champions League final with Chelsea that season, only to, to lose to Man United with the John Terry slip. Didn't deliver a title, so he was gone. In came Luis Felipe Scolari. Everyone was, you know, a little, you know, somewhat excited. I mean, look, Brazilian guy comes in. First game, they were incredible. I think I remember they went four nil, scored three or four in the first half. They were outstanding. But the season in England is difficult and. The winter is hard, and he didn't do well in that period, and by March, Scolari was gone. He was replaced by Hiddink as an interim, who did well and won an FA Cup, but the next season, we wanted someone, Abramovich wanted to have someone permanent, so he brought in Carlo Ancelotti. Great choice, probably the best manager, one of the best managerial choices he made in his entire tenure, but also considered widely by a lot of people as one of his greatest mistakes, because Ancelotti in his first season delivered a very impressive League Cup double. 
And Chelsea stormed to the league title. On the final day of the season, they beat Wigan 8-0. I mean, it was really terrific. I remember those the, the day that they won the title and the day that they won the FA Cup. That year, I was living in Baltimore, and I remember leaving a, a bar where I watched the game and just was so happy. It was like, this is so great. The team is just you're, just, you're just loving what you're watching every single week. And you're excited for the next season. And they went barnstorming again, right from the early off. I mean, in, in, into October, Chelsea were outstanding, leading the league, doing well. But then they started to fall apart. And for two months, it seemed like they couldn't buy a victory, couldn't score goals, couldn't buy a victory, and were in a lot of trouble. But... Come springtime, Ancelotti found a way to turn things around. And the team went a long way. They started to go deeper in the Champions League, only to be knocked out by Man United in the semifinal. And pretty much in the same week, lost to Man United in the league at Old Trafford, which lost them the possibility of winning a league title. Having had a rough patch in the middle, the recovery was outstanding. And it was something that all Chelsea fans were like, look, I mean, unlucky, but we can go again next season. Unfortunately, Ancelotti loses on the last day of the season to Everton in a game that didn't really matter and was, legend has it, sacked in the tunnel at Goodison Park. So there went Carlo Ancelotti. And I think a lot of Chelsea fans at that point started to become disillusioned with the idea of who the coach even was. Does it matter who the manager is? I mean, the reality is there was no loyalty to managers. And in the game of football, you you do tend to develop a loyalty to a leader that has delivered you something. But Abramovich was saw in a different way, and maybe in a way that none of us really recognized the value of at the time. To him, like I said before, it doesn't matter if what your previous success is. The here and now is all that is important. For fans, it was difficult because you you got, you know, made fun of by your peers and friends who supported other clubs that all you did was buy big players who sometimes who most of the time flopped you just went for the next manager you could and just pretty much threw shit at the wall to see what would stick i mean look andre shevchenko and fernando torres came in to great acclaim and did almost nothing in their time at the club those were embarrassing signings that that went wrong and there are more we will get into those but I think what was really difficult for a lot of fans was to see all these players come in, not really deliver, then be replaced. And there was never time for young players. There was never time for an exciting young talent or an academy player. If you would hear about someone or you'd see them get a few minutes, that would be the last time forever. It was almost like a kid would get six, seven minutes at the end of a game just to let you know that there was an academy but but that was not the whole point of it. The point of it was not to get players into the first team. As we learned from the loan army, it kind of became more of a, well, we're going to build a great academy the best we can. We're going to develop the best players we can. And then if they turn into top quality talents and we can turn them into professionals, we can sell them off for good profit, having paid absolutely nothing for them and balance our books, which is funny because Chelsea in the early years operated at a massive loss. But financial fair play started to come into the game course somewhat as a result because of what Chelsea's spending was inflated prices inflated salaries something needed to be done so they wanted to kind of get in the way of just this epic level of just throwing money around and Chelsea started to actually look for ways to be consistently making a profit and not operating at 200 million pound a year losses just from buying players and sacking managers 
though they were still doing a lot of that. The other issue about the Roman Abramovich era that I think a lot of people either take note of or forget or whatever is the sagas. Just There's so many stories and, and, and scandals, if you will. If you look back, I mean, Jose Mourinho bought, brought plenty with him and just his the way he acted and, and the personality he had. Also, having a billionaire owner who says nothing ever, never addresses anything, which I think was super wise by him to do, but he never did it, which made people even more suspect of everything. You had the crazy story about John Obi Mikel. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but he had originally signed for Man United when he was like 17 or something. And out of nowhere, he's playing in Sweden. He just disappears from his club for like a day or two. And then pops back up and essentially says, I got pressured into signing for Man United. I want to go to Chelsea instead. The whole thing seemed fishy. It was very bizarre for this Nigerian kid who was playing in Sweden. Clearly, people were after him in terms of as a player, right? Like Man United wanted him. A lot of big clubs wanted him. And the pressure to sign him was huge. And so you had this weird thing where the kid's... There's a photo of him. He's on the side of the road with his cell phone, like calling his agent or whatever. And it was it was so strange. And in the end, Chelsea had to pay Man United money for that, which was really weird. There was also the signing of Gael Kakuta, which caused a whole bunch of messes because they got a transfer ban because of it. Uh, Ch- Chelsea were never really far from any kind of uh, just controversy in those early years. You have to remember... Ashley Cole, when he was signed, there was a whole tapping up scandal. Now, tapping up, hilariously, was the idea that you would contact a player about possibly signing them and negotiating terms before talking to the club. Apparently, this was a big, big problem that everyone had, whereas now they can just literally text, hey, do you want to come? We should just uh, have the agents talk and organize a deal, and then just we'll work it out with the club after. Like, that's normal now. And everyone says it now. It's just funny how this was a huge thing. Chelsea got in trouble for it. There was also Adrian Mutu, Romanian guy who signed in that first uh, 03 window. Started like a house on fire. He was just scoring goals. Bang, bang, bang. And then he goes in a dry spell. A long one. I think he scored like one goal in 23 games. And then he gets busted for cocaine. Gets sacked by the club. So there were all these stories where players would come in, sort of random names, and they would just sort of fail. I mean, there were also just the weird veteran signings that happened for a while, like Alexander Pato, uh, Falcao came, Quaresma came, Samuel Eto. I mean, good player, but way past his prime. Tal Ben Haim and Yossi Ben Ayun, and then now Romelu Lukaku, right? Like all these signings that were sort of like. Older players that are supposed to either bring you something big or supposed to just fill in gaps, they just seem like strange signings, some that didn't seem to fit. And then, of course, you have Fernando Torres, you have Andrei Shevchenko, two players that did not work out in any capacity. Michael Ballack was a success at Chelsea, but it, it was close. I mean, he was a player who didn't seem to be at his most effective when he was at Chelsea. He he was definitely part of an important unit. but I, And he was there in the Ancelotti years. But I, I would say that, you know, with Lampard and the team, with the people that they had around, Balak was almost another – he was a luxury signing at the time. And Chelsea were doing a lot of those. And so it made you feel strange, the amount of cash that was being chucked around to bring guys in who did nothing. And then you were like, well, where are these young players that we're hearing about that are so, so good? 
And that brought us to the Frank Lampard era. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because that transfer ban, it was probably the best thing that happened to Chelsea. And you have to think about where, it, where they were. Jose Mourinho came back, had a great first season, got the club ready. They got Nemanja Matic that next uh, December, and they charged for the title the following season. Won it. It was brilliant. Fabregas was in the team. It, it, everything just looked so, so good. Diego Costa. It was great. But then, the season Leicester win the title, by the way, Chelsea were absolutely awful. It was their worst worst finish of a Premier League season in the Abramovich era. And so Jose was gone. And there was this sort of toxicity, sort of like after he left Man United. Things just didn't feel good. Players that seemed to have fallen out with him. Something needed to change. Well, if you've got one big, giant personality manager that doesn't work out, how about bringing another? So then they go to... Antonio Conte. Yeah. That was a pretty fun time because Antonio Conte had just had an incredible Euros with Italy. And you could see the energy that he brought every single time there was a goal or something happened. The way he just celebrated everything. It was incredible. His touchline presence was massive. And so he brought back a huge energy to the club and a big energy to the team. But he was also a brooding guy. The title win in that first season was unbelievable. They won, I think, 17 or 18 games on the spin and just were fantastic. But when he didn't get the signings he wanted the next summer and Nemanja Matic was sort of sold under his nose, which he didn't agree with, things got kind of weird. He basically crossed his arms and told the board, okay, I'll just uh, work with what I got and it'll be average and we'll just slink through this. And then they move on to a slightly more tepid personality. Bring in Maurizio Sarri. Now, Sarri, credit to him for being a, the decent coach he is. But his brooding figure was never going to make up for what the fans lost in Jose Mourinho. We wanted more. Also, the playing style was just not very great. I mean, yeah, the guy did win the Europa League, so got to give him credit for that. But... It, it, it was not fun for fans. We saw the worst of Jorginho. We saw the worst of Mateo Kovacic. And when Lampard came in after a transfer ban that following summer, things totally changed. Because of that transfer ban, he obviously had to. There was obviously a reset that needed to happen, and he, and he brought in the young players, which gave a huge sense of pride to fans. I mean, to have these academy guys come in, guys that had been at the club since they were eight, right? Like Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Fikayo Tomori, Reese James. Been at the club since they were eight. These are Chelsea boys. So for them to get into the team and have an impact in that Frank Lampard season was fantastic to see. And look, these guys have careers set up. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Callum Hudson-Odoi as well. Even if it's not at Chelsea, they are now re ready for big, long, successful careers. Credit to the academy for developing them. But also, had they not been given their chance on this stage, where would they be right now? Right, And so you have to give Lampard enormous credit for that. As I said, I thought he helped unlock Jorginho and Kovacic, who Jorginho had been booed the previous season under Sadri. And Kovacic, everyone was like, what does this guy actually do? He just passes it sideways? Turns out he's one of the best dribblers with the ball. Sadri didn't want him to do that, so we never saw it. Frank Lampard brought that great energy back to Chelsea and a huge sense of pride. And unfortunately, we learned once again, the big guy up top, he doesn't do well if you're not winning games. And so when Lampard was sacked, there was a banner put up in, out front of uh, 
the stadium that said the circus continues. And that's how it felt. I think I was most gutted by that manager sacking than any other because I felt like, what are we doing here? Like, aren't we trying to build? Like, isn't the club trying to build for the future? Isn't the tr- tr- club trying to continue to look for options to to make something sustainable? You bring in someone else who has no loyalty to the young players, they may be like, look, I want a few signings. And, like, these guys, great and everything, but we're moving on. You know, we're not going to give young guys a chance as much anymore. And we're going to go back to the way it used to be, where managers know, basically, you have so little time. You are you sign a, a two- or three-year deal, you're not going to sign another one. If you do, it's because you're doing really well and it's improved your deal. But you're not staying for three years. No coach does. And everyone knew this. The key was how long could you stay in the job and could you deliver a trophy? Could you do something to enhance your reputation while you were at this cutthroat club? That was what coaches were doing. There was no reason to go and check out the academy, go to Cobham, walk across the street and look at the young players play. Watch a U-17 game. Watch a U-18 game. If you're a manager and you've got to figure out how to win this weekend or else you might be on a run that gets you sacked, yeah, I mean, your priorities are totally different. And then Tuchel comes in. Tuchel came in, and i got to say, he's been a safe pair of hands and more, way beyond that. An unbelievable appointment and far and away maybe the most lucky of all of them. Because though a lot of these guys came in, did okay, not much, or great, and then still ended up with a huge payday, he's the guy that actually outlasted Roman Abramovich just by luck alone, having delivered in his first season terrifically. He comes into the second season, and when things start to actually not go well and results start to go sour, the club gets sanctioned. Putin invades Ukraine, and all of a sudden, every oligarch in the UK and around is basically have their assets frozen, and as we know now, they wanted to bring him down. Now, you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of reasons why I think this this went this way. I, I, Abramovich actually lost his visa to the UK back in 2018, and apparently he withdrew his application. That's what reports seem to say. But you have to remember this is also in 2018, which is in the wake of the British official who was poisoned in his Salisbury home by a Russian spy. Right, that whole story that erupted, the British were. Really, really upset about that, really offended by that. Tensions with Russia were high with elite, the elite political oligarch class. It was not good. And so when Putin invades Ukraine, I think a lot of people saw an opportunity because if you've kept up enough with the kinds of things that Abramovich has been doing in the wake of this, he's he's tried to set up aid. He tried to distance, distance himself initially from the club saying, I'm just not going to run things. Then he said, hey, I'm going to sell it. Now he's not even calling back the $2 billion loan. So he's not even asking to get paid. I look at this and I'm like, wow. Roman Abramovich came to Chelsea from the very beginning, said, I don't care what it costs. This is fun. This is basically me having real life fantasy football and just enjoying it. I want to deliver trophies, I want to deliver success, and I want to put this club on the map in a global way. Well, he did that. He absolutely accomplished that. He always said he didn't care about the money, and he clearly never cared about the money because when given the opportunity to call back a $2 billion loan, he said no. 
am I trying to put Abramovich as some kind of amazing figure who's deserves a prize or something? No. I'm just saying, as an owner of a football club, this guy did a really good job. The academy is second to none, one of one of the best in, in, in the country, one of the best in the world. It was hard to accept the way he sacked managers, but it consistently brought success. And as we always say, no one is bigger than the club, not the manager. Well, with Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson around, to a lot of people it felt like, well, you need somebody to challenge them. Well, that somebody a lot of people thought would be Mourinho, maybe Ancelotti. No, that person from the beginning was Roman Abramovich, and he was always going to find talented people to come in and work with the money he had. He would say, here's a team. Win with it. We have spent immense amounts of money on high-class players. You are a coach, apparently a good one. Work with what you got and win something. And when you know your ideas are out and the well is dry, you're gone. You get a great payday, and I bring in someone else. And that was the way he ran it for a long time. Is it the right way? Look, it's not how I would do it. It's definitely not how I would have liked to see it done for a long time. But now I look at where Chelsea is, a club that was 140 million pounds in debt back on that 11th of May in 2003. By qualifying for the Champions League, they didn't know it at the time, but not only had they saved the club from possible liquidation and insolvency, but they put it on a crash course to be one of the biggest clubs in the world. And now, having just been sold for over $2 billion to Todd Bowley and his little consortium, you have to say, Abramovich succeeded. Now, he's not getting his money back, and hey, he may go by Valencia and turn them into a juggernaut, for all I know. But I think it's fascinating to see how this story all rounded out. It almost had to end with some big layer of drama, right? A war? I mean, this is, as a Chelsea fan over the last 20 years, sort of what it feels like. I don't think this new era will bring anywhere near the same amount of drama and scandal. Surely not. It won't bring around the same amount of chucking around cash that we saw in the early days or even just last summer. Who knows? Maybe we'll see another world record signing goalkeeper that flops. That was, that was a fun one to endure as a Chelsea fan. But I think what you see is the club is changing. There's no way it's going to be the same. And so what I would say to all Chelsea fans is this. Take the Roman Abramovich era and hold it close to your heart. Because those two Champions League titles, all those league titles and cup titles, they were so much fun. The players that came through, inspiring. A lot of them. And Look, the flops are hilarious stories to talk about as we go down the line as well. But when I look back, I think, man, this guy did something unique. And the next lot that come in, they won't have the same hunger to succeed that a 38-year-old Roman Abramovich did when he walked into London. So, look, do I think that the new era of Chelsea will bring with it the same success or anywhere near? No, I do not. However, for the club to become, or for the club to stay as big of an entity as it is, and for it to stay in the conversation of consistent success, they're going to have to hire best in class. Please don't go the Man United route of getting Frank Lampard and John Terry in the door to run the whole thing for you. We want the best people, all right? 
The Roman Abramovich era at Chelsea is over. 19 years of spending cash, winning trophies, and uh, eating your words a lot of the time. But in the end, it was pretty fun. I think back to being a junior in high school when this all started. And now here I am, running a little podcast and trying to figure out what the next story is. And when you're covering Chelsea, the next story always feels like it's a week away. Well, hopefully now we get a little bit of a break from the drama. We'll see how it goes in the future. This is Campfire Football.